Well, let me welcome you to the day after. That's what today's called, you know, the day after. It is the day after Christmas. And I don't mean to say welcome to church on the day after Christmas, although that's true as well, of course. But I just simply mean welcome to the day after. Now, this is kind of a shared experience that all of us have. We, we uh, live so focused, many of us do, in the days, really the weeks, and maybe even the months leading up to Christmas. We're so focused on the planning and getting ready and the gatherings and, and the meals and all those things. And then it just all sort of comes right in a moment and then it's over. And there's almost this sort of Christmas hangover that happens right after that. And you're probably experiencing that to some degree. Like probably your house is a wreck. And if it is, ladies, just let me give you some grace this morning. Just, just rest in Jesus. It's okay. You know, if there's wrapping paper still kind of sticking out from under the couch and, and uh, you know, food crumbs all over the counter, it's all right. It, it'll be there tomorrow uh, when you can maybe uh, get your husband to help you take care of that and get things cleaned up a bit. Um, you know, the celebrations have happened and uh, we've, we've had whatever the gatherings that we might be a part of, uh, whatever they look like, we've, we've participated in those. Um, I can tell by looking at some of you this morning, you are still in a food coma and you've just, <laughs> you've just been carb binging for days and, uh, and, and that's, it kind of affects all of us the same. And so we sort of come into the day after Christmas and it's this natural sort of letdown in a number of different ways where we're just sort of getting, getting through it. I was thinking about this yesterday because Tracy and I had a pretty quiet day yesterday. We were with uh, one of our, uh, with our daughter and her husband and, and our grandson yesterday for the, the whole you know, morning Santa thing and breakfast and that was great. And then we went home. And of course, our kids are all grown now. So you know what we did from like mid-morning till the afternoon? Like nothing. Listen, it was heavenly. I mean, don't feel sorry for me. <laughs> it was quiet and it was wonderful. So we had kind of a, a down day. And so I was doing some reading and I read an article about a Midwestern university uh, that had put out 10 suggestions for things that their students might want to do the day after Christmas. Okay, And so I thought some of these 10 were pretty good suggestions. Now, not all of them would apply to us, but I, I, I wrote down several of them. And I thought, well, that makes good sense. So one of the things that they suggested that their students might want to do after uh, the day after Christmas is that they might want to sleep in. And so let me just say to all of you watching online today, <laughs> grace is yours today, right? How many people today just want, you know what, I just wanna, I'm going to sleep in today and kind of catch up. That's a good plan. Uh, they suggested that students might want to help their family clean up the clutter. That's a, great, that's a great thing to do, start cleaning up. Now the third one, I thought, you know, there are a lot of people who would, who would like this one. It doesn't really uh, appeal to me, but they suggested that on the day after Christmas, you should go shopping. Does anybody in the room do that? Do you go shopping the day after Christmas? I can't imagine shopping the day after Christmas. I mentioned that to Tracy. She said, well, there are a lot of sales and markdowns, and so maybe that makes sense. The fourth one I really uh, resonated with, they said the day after Christmas you should eat up all the leftovers. Amen? I'm for that, man. Because we don't want to waste. And New Year's coming, and there's grace every morning. 
and, uh, and we can deal with uh, all the overeating, you know, at that time. They suggested that we, uh, the fifth one was that you take a nap, and I imagine some of you will do that today. I added my own last one, which was not on the list, uh, and Tracy never allows me to do this, but I suggest it every single year after the day, uh, the day after Christmas, and it is that we ought to take down the Christmas tree. Can I get a witness from anybody in the room? Take down the Christmas tree. Yeah, Tracy calls me Scrooge every time I, or the Grinch, every time I suggest that. They're, they're pretty good suggestions, at least uh, some of them are. But before we get into maybe kind of carrying out some of those activities, let me spend a few minutes with you today uh, talking to you about our greatest responsibility following uh, Christmas. In fact, our greatest privilege and our greatest responsibility following Christmas. And that is the privilege and the responsibility of announcing to others what it is that we now know because of Christmas. Let me remind you of where we've been over the last couple of weeks. So last Sunday, we talked about the Annunciation from Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary in Nazareth and made the Annunciation, gave to her this news. Hail Mary, thou art highly favored, and you will give birth to the Son of God, to the Messiah. We talked about the Annunciation last Sunday. And praise God, last Sunday morning in our two services, five people came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're grateful to God for that. That was one week ago. And then just a couple of days ago on Friday, at both of our campuses, we gathered to talk about the uh, arrival of Jesus. And so this was the Luke 2 nativity story, uh, the angels coming to the shepherds in the fields and announcing to them the birth of Jesus and how that Christ had been born and laid in a manger. That was, that was on Friday when we uh, had our Christmas Eve service. Praise God in our Christmas Eve service here on Friday night in that one service, seven people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And so 12 people gave, uh, were saved just in the last week. Praise God. Today, I want to talk to you about the announcing, that is our joy in announcing to others this glorious truth about Jesus. And this privilege and responsibility was first modeled for us by the shepherds. And their enthusiasm for it and their, their actions in it are really instructive to us. So let me just jump right into the text and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse number 15. Would you follow along as I read? The Bible says, And it came to pass... As the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. Why don't you stop right there for just a second? If you have a pen in your hand, would you circle in verse number 15 the word go? Let us now go. And then circle the word uh, see. Let us go and see. Because of what they had encountered in that field that night, the shepherds were compelled to go and see what it was all about. Next Sunday, I'm going to begin a brief series with you that we are going to call Come and See. Well, we're going to spend the next few weeks thinking about how that you and I have this great joy and responsibility of compelling people that we know and love to come and see what is true of our God. To come and see what is true of Christ. Well, they said, let us go and see. 
Verse number 16 says, they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and of course the baby Jesus lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now I need to tell you what some of you probably know, but others of you may not be aware of, and it is that very often these shepherds in this story get a bad rap. And by that what I mean is, is that there are a lot of people, in fact it's widely believed that the shepherds of the first century were an unreliable group of people, deplorables if you will. They, they, they were people that uh, were considered by the the society at large to be uh, undesirables. They were, they were sort of a riffraff kind of community, these shepherds. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily be safe around them and you certainly couldn't put much stock in anything that they would say. In fact, there's some who believe that in that culture that sometimes, very often, the testimony of a shepherd would not even be admissible in a court of law because, after all, everybody knew you can't believe anything that a shepherd says. Now, that's a bad rap because I don't believe that that's the case at all. In fact, I'm convinced that these shepherds were very believable if for no other reason because of what verse number 18 says. Look at it. Verse 17 says they went everybody oh, everywhere telling everybody what they had seen. And verse 18 says all those that heard it wondered at what they heard. Well, if this was a group of guys that you couldn't believe anything that they said, everybody that heard the shepherds would have said, well, you can't believe that. You know those shepherds. They, they don't tell the truth anyway. But that's not the response that they got. The response that they got was people admired their words. That's what it means when it says they wondered. They admired their words and they believed what they said. So I don't think these shepherds were undesirables at all. In fact, I would suggest to you that they were probably men that were held in very high esteem. Remember, these were the shepherds of Bethlehem. And they would have been shepherds in the likeness of their great forebear, another shepherd from Bethlehem that you will all recognize his name. His name was David who was a shepherd from Bethlehem that became the shepherd of God's people. He became the king of Israel. I'm convinced they were held in high esteem. In fact, it's, in, it's entirely possible, and we don't know it for sure, but it's entirely possible that these shepherds were what would be called temple shepherds. That is, they would be the shepherds that were charged with caring for the lambs that would ultimately go to the temple in Jerusalem, only six miles away, that would go to the temple in Jerusalem to be sacrificed in the temple for the sins of the people. And those little sheep would have to be carefully and meticulously cared for by very responsible men, shepherds. And those little lambs would have to be ones that would be able to be presented without spot and without blemish. They would have to be healthy and whole and not injured and, and well cared for. If these are the temple shepherds, 
then they certainly would have been well-respected and their enthusiasm would have been all the more persuasive because they would have fully understood lamb sacrifice and they would have known what the angels meant when they said that a Savior has been born. So dispel the idea that these shepherds were unbelievable. Riff-raff running through the streets telling a wild story about the birth of the Savior. No, no, no. They are men held in high esteem and men who are carrying out the good news of the birth of Jesus. And we're going to follow their model today. We're going to learn from their example today as we see their impassioned announcing of the birth of Jesus. Now, let me tell you that as we do that today, I am going to be unusually brief in my message, unusually brief in, in our time together this morning. And I'm going to do that for a couple of reasons. Um, one is because I, um, I know that many of you have events to get to today. Your Christmas celebrations aren't over yet. And so I'm going to respect that and, and get you out of here a little bit early today. Uh, by the way, I should tell you that I also told the first service I was going to let them go a little early. And I said to them that I told our greeter team and our children's ministry team and our worship team so that they would all be ready when we dismissed about 15 or 20 minutes early and they wouldn't be called, you know, not ready because we dismissed early. And this morning when I told all of them that we were going to do that, they all laughed at me. Every single one of them said, no, you won't. Well, you just asked first service folks. We made it out of here early today, all right? So I'm going to let you go early because I know you've got some things to do, but there's a second reason. It's a more important reason. And that is because so many of the things that I would really want to say out of this text, I'm going to hold until next week. Because the, next week we're going to lean into this new year and lean into the vision of 2022 and lean into our responsibility and our joy as we go into next year about announcing the good news of Christ. And I just want to hold much of that until then. And so I'm going to ask you to be sure and be back next Sunday. If you promise to come back next Sunday, will you shout amen? amen. I'm going to let you go early so you can do two Sundays in a row, all right? I'm kidding. I know most all of you do anyway. So I, I look forward to having you back next Sunday. But let, let me talk for a few minutes to you today about what these shepherds are doing in verse 17. Look at it. It says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying, which was told them concerning this child. They went out and they gave what? They gave a testimony. That's the word that we would use. They are giving a testimony of what they had seen and what they had heard. Now, you know, you, you know what a testimony is, don't you? We understand that a testimony is very simply the declaration of a truth. A testimony is the declaration of a truth. It is where we declare what we know to be true. Think about it. Have you ever been called to testify in a court of law? If you did, you were probably asked to take your left hand and place it on the Bible and raise your right hand and affirm this. You were asked, do you swear that the testimony that you will give today is the truth, the, say it, whole truth, and the nothing but the truth. This is what a testimony is. It is the declaration of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. 
And so these shepherds are giving their testimony. Now a testimony can be spoken. A testimony can also be written. We can write out what is true. In fact, I find it really interesting that the tables or the tablets of stone that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments on it, written in the finger of God, that statement or the the statement of what is true about God and how we relate to him in the Ten Commandments is called in the book of Exodus the testimony or the tablets of the testimony. Look at it. It's Exodus chapter number 34 and verse 29. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony... In other words, what was true about God was written on those tablets of stone. They were called the tablets of the testimony. In his hand, he came down from, Mount, uh, from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face was shining because he had been talking with God. So the Bible calls the Ten Commandments the tablets of testimony. Now, many of you will know that they took these tablets of stone, the tablets of testimony, and they put them in a box, a box made of wood overlaid with pure gold, You will know, many of you will, that that box is called the Ark of the Covenant. That's where they were kept. But did you know that the Ark of the Covenant is also referred to in Scripture as the Ark of the Testimony? So you have the testimony of God, what is true of him, put into a box, wooden box, and that box is called the Ark or the container or the box of the Testimony. And then the people of Israel are called the people of the testimony. And they would take the box of testimony that contained the testimony of God. And they would go forth and carry forth what was true of God. Now I take the time to share that with you because if that's true in the old covenant, then surely those of us who know what is true about God and have received the truth of God in our vessels, our earthen vessels, shouldn't we be the people of God to carry forth what is true of God, that truth that has been deposited within us? And that's exactly what these shepherds are doing on this, on this first Christmas morning. They are carrying forth and telling others what they know to be true about Christ, the birth of Christ. In fact, there are several words in the text that, that are testimony kinds of words or words that are used testimony. Look at it. Verse number 17. Luke 2 verse 17 says, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad. To make known. That's a word for testimony. The, The word means to have a certainty. Listen carefully. To be certain about something. I know something. And now I am going to take what I know and I'm going to make it known to somebody else. When the Bible says that they went to make known, it means to share the knowledge. I'm going to make known what I am certain about. Let me read to you from 1 John. You've been holding your finger there for all this time. Look there now, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Let me just read several verses. Verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was then manifested unto us. 
And that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. Now, back up in verse number 2, 1 John 1 and verse number 2. He says, this life was manifested, we have seen it, and we are bearing witness. That's a testimony word. I've seen something, and now I'm witnessing to what I've seen. I've learned something, now I'm witnessing of what I've learned. I've received, now I'm witnessing of what I've received. The word simply means, very simply, to give the record of. So John says, I know this, and now I'm letting you know this. The shepherds made known the certainty that they had received. Look at 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you. We're declaring it. The word declare means to announce. I am taking the certainty that I have and making it known to others. I am bearing witness to what I know to be true, I am announcing what has been announced to me. To share your testimony is simply to announce to others what you know to be true about Christ. I'll say it again. To share a testimony is simply to announce to others what you know to be true of Christ. Now I want to ask you a question, and it's a I'm asking it tenderly, but honestly. How are you doing with giving away what you know about Christ? How's that going for you? If you look back over 2022 and you think about your relationships, your friendships, your coworkers, your neighbors, if we think about the people that we interact with who do not know of Christ what we know, they don't have the certainty that we possess, how are we doing? How are we doing with taking what we know and giving it away to them? Now, here's the thing. My hope is that we will say, even though I haven't perhaps done that in the last year, in 2021, like I wish I had, 2022 is coming. There's a brand new year. It's a new opportunity. And I want to lean into this joyful responsibility that is mine to witness to others and to share my testimony. And so, again, we're going to talk about it in detail next week. But today, all I want to do is sort of introduce to you the structure of your testimony. Okay? Three simple principles, three simple observations, and then we're going to go home. Number one, write it down. These passages teach us about the object of our testimony. And that is to say that the object of our testimony is Christ. The object of our testimony is Christ. It seems so simple, but let me show it to you in the text. I'm back in Luke chapter 2 and verse 15. It came to pass as the angels were going away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. What had the Lord made known to them? What had they heard about Christ? I mean, all you need to do is read the preceding verses in Luke chapter number 2. Verse number 10 The angel said to them, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. It's for all people. A Savior has been born. Christ the Lord has arrived. The baby is wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger in the city of David. 
Then the multitude of the angels comes and says, the glory of God is coming and uh, God will be glorified in the highest degree and peace on earth is coming and, God, and God's goodwill is being experienced by men. These are the things that have been told. And so those are the things they went out and talked about or the things that they went out and told after they had seen the baby Jesus. Again, 1 John chapter 1, in verse, verses number 1 and 2, John says, the things which we have heard and seen, what we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the very word of life, that is what we are telling you about. Now let me just simplify this. It is to say that the object of our testimony is not to talk about ourselves, but it's to talk about Jesus. Listen, when you testify, testify about Jesus. When, when you want to give your testimony, when you want to be like these shepherds and carry forth the good news, avoid the temptation to talk only about you. That, that is our tendency often. Point people to Jesus, not to you and how Jesus has transformed you. Now we'll talk about it in a second. You're part of the story. You do need to share that. But the object, the focus is Jesus. Let me give you a little bit of a personal story here. When, when I became a Christian, I was 16 years old. And so I trusted in Christ um, when I was in high school. Now Tracy, who's my wife now, uh, had a very different upbringing than I did uh, in terms of, of Christian teaching and, and uh, hearing the gospel and going to church. And we both grew up in good homes and I grew up in a great home, great parents, a uh, very stable and loving home. But we weren't a home that, uh, where Christ was center. We weren't a home where, that we went to church. It just wasn't who we were. So when Tracy met the Lord, she wasn't 16, she was nine. So Tracy had a very strong uh, discipleship process in her life. She was very, uh, her parents were very committed to raising her church. She knew Jesus early. She grew in Jesus early, and she loved Jesus a lot. So by the time the two of us arrived in high school, she had a very strong Christian walk and was really a strong testimony in our local high school. Everybody in school knew that she was a Christian, and she lived it out, man. I mean, it was a real deal um, in high school. Me? <laughs> Not so much. I, I didn't get saved till I was 16, so my teenage years up until that point were years that were marked by pretty wild living and, and uh, um, lots of partying, and I just didn't know the Lord, and I lived like I didn't know the Lord. Well, I came to faith in April of 1981, April the 29th to be exact, 1981. 30 days later, on May the 29th, 1981, Tracy Riddle went on a date with Jimmy Dykes. Now, I was saved but I was not sanctified. I'm not sure what her parents were thinking at that time. We went on our very first date, and we became a couple. We were high school sweethearts from that day forward and got married a year out of high school. I'm giving you too much information, more than you care about, right? But here's the thing. When she and I would walk down the hall together at school, because everybody knew who she was and they knew who I was, they would say, never shall those two meet. How did that happen? And they would say to me, boy, when you started dating Tracy, that Christian girl, she turned you around. You really straightened up. And it gave me the most wonderful opportunity to say, you know what? It's not about her and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Let me tell you about the one that has changed my life. Here's what I want you to know. That when you share your testimony, it's not about you or the people around you. It's about the God who has moved into you. So share about him. The second thing that I would say is if you want to share your testimony, you're to talk about Jesus, not about your church. 
which is so easy for us to do. I mean, I love Brookstone Church, and I love talking about what God is doing here, but avoid the trap of saying, Brookstone is wonderful. Let me tell you about Brookstone. Brookstone's broken. Jesus is wonderful. And anything wonderful about this church is, is what Jesus is doing in this church. So avoid the temptation of simply talking about your church. The object of our testimony is Christ. Second, secondly, the basis of our testimony is our experience with Christ. Now, as I mentioned, we don't talk about ourselves, but our story is part of the story. And so the, the very reason that we can share a testimony is because we have had some experience with Christ. I mean, think about what these, these shepherds must have said. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says they made known abroad the things that they had seen and heard. So I can imagine they told everything that they had seen and heard. I mean, can you imagine? They were like, hey, we were in the field, and uh, it was incredible, and we were keeping the sheep, and everything was normal. And then, pooh, there's this angel shows up, and he said the Christ, the Messiah, had been born. And all these angels came, glory to God in the highest, and they're telling the whole deal. And then we go up to Bethlehem, and they'll find the baby in a manger. Manger? Yeah, he's in a manger. We found him. We got to tell you. And they're just telling the whole story. We do the same thing. Our object is, is Christ. But how we came to know Christ, the experience we have with the Lord, that is what we tell. How that Jesus intersected our lives and brought us to faith. In 1 John chapter 1, three different times, John says, I've seen him. I've seen him. I've seen him. I've heard him. My hands have handled him. I've touched him. He is the very word of life. And so it's out of our personal encounter with Christ that we carry forth a testimony of what we know to be true of Christ. John Sorensen has written a book called Your Story Counts. It's a really simple book, and it's built upon this premise that your testimony can make a difference in the lives of other people. And in that little book, he, he gives us a structure for building our personal testimony. I would recommend it to you, not just the book, but the, the little outline he gives. He says, if you want to share your testimony, write it out like this. First of all, think about my life before I met Jesus. What was it like? Just list some bullets. This is who I was before I met Jesus. Secondly, how I met Jesus. How did it happen? When did it happen? Where did I get saved? And then thirdly, my life since I met Jesus. And in other words, this is my experience with Christ. This is the difference that he's made in me. And if you can do that, if you can follow that little model, this is who I was, this is how I met him, and this is how I've changed. Now you have an experience, you're able to articulate the experience that you've had with Christ, and you can give your testimony. Many of you have enjoyed uh, this little mini-series that has come out over the last couple of years uh, by Dallas Jenkins called The Chosen. And uh, some love it, some aren't so wild about it. Uh, but if you've enjoyed that little, uh, little mini-series, you've seen Mary Magdalene in that series give this testimony. And I just think it's a beautiful testimony. It's really simple. She says this, I once was one way. I used to be one way. And now I'm completely different. And what happened in between was him. Amen. That's beautiful. I used to be one way. Now I'm completely different. And what happened in between was him. You see, it's our experience. It's because I know Christ. It's because I've encountered him that my life has been transformed. And out of that experience now, I can point people 
to Christ. The basis of our experiences, uh, of our testimony is experience. And then finally, um, the objective of our testimony is life change. Very simply, the objective, why we share our testimony is so that others may know and that their lives might be changed. Listen to what 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, why do we declare this unto you? So that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. Verse 5, now this then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We're not doing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. You see what John is saying? John is saying, I have encountered the living Christ. I have walked with him. I have seen his power. I have heard him teach. My ears have heard him. My eyes have seen him. My hands have touched him. John is saying, I have an encounter with Christ and I now have full joy because I walk with him and I'm telling you what I know because I want you to walk with him and have full joy. I'm just betting that there's somebody in your family who doesn't walk with him and you want them to. And there's a coworker, or many coworkers, that you work with who do not know him, but you want them to. And they're neighbors and classmates and acquaintances. And they don't have fullness of joy, and they don't walk in the light, and they have never met Christ, and you want them to. And John says, if you will wrap your heart around your experience with Jesus, if you will realize that it's not about you, it's not about your church, it's about him, and if you will step into their lives and lean into taking what you know to be true and giving that testimony to them, then they can come to faith in Jesus as well. They can be transformed. And this is what we're going to talk about in the month of January. And it's going to be liberating, and it's going to be empowering, and it's going to set our course for the next 12 months which may just be the months in which Jesus will return to take us home in 2022. And we want to be found faithful in that day. So will you be here? Will you lean in? Will you pray? Will you ask God to give you um, clarity on your testimony and that you would be willing to share it?